Jesus was actually here on earth doing things, and that he left and he went to heaven, but the Holy Spirit came, and the Holy Spirit is here and lives in us, and he, and he does things, that God is with us, that he works through us. And not only that, but we actually can't do anything without him. That, that Christianity doesn't say, okay, now God has forgiven you, now go out and make your life better, or go out and save the world. The, the Christianity says you can't save yourself and you can't fix yourself and you can't do anything. It, it says that Jesus has done everything and then the Holy Spirit is given to you to empower you and to strengthen you and to change you. And, and we work with him, but it's in his power and his strength. We need him. Then we said the next week that the Holy Spirit has actually given gifts to people and, and sometimes these gifts can look quite supernatural. God actually speaking or revealing something to someone or, or God using someone to pray and see someone healed. But they can also look quite natural and normal, like, like someone having a real gift of generosity in, in giving or in hospitality and serving. Um, and these are different. And sometimes this causes problems because sometimes people might feel like they're a bit better than other people. And other people might feel like they're a bit worse than other people. And this is what was happening in this church we were talking to. And, and we we're saying that actually... God has arranged it so that, that we're all together and there's all these differences, but there's the one spirit. And we're not to think of ourselves as individuals, but a part of this big body, that we're actually all apart and we work together. And, and the gifts that we've been given by God are for the good of everyone. They're not things for ourselves to make us look good at all, but they're gifts to give and, and to serve with. Then last week we said, Paul, Paul sort of took this one step further and said, this church has been a bit obsessed with the gifts. They've got, they've got it all wrong. It's not about the gifts. It's not about doing powerful things through God. It's, it's not about making yourself look good. It's all actually about love. And that if love is not at the center of everything that we're doing, that, that it actually amounts to nothing. That the goal of the Holy Spirit, the goal of our, our meetings, our gatherings, the goal of what God wants to do is actually love. And that, that, that is actually the best thing that the Holy Spirit can produce in us is love for God and love for other people. And then, so we talked about that the last few weeks and, and tonight we're going to sort of get into a, a few more specifics mainly with two of the gifts, um, prophecy and tongues. If you've never been in church before you probably have no idea what those two words mean and I'm going to explain those a little bit more as we go through and, and make sense because some of these are a bit controversial and they're a bit controversial for the church in Corinth that we've been reading about and, and as we're going to read through some of what um, Paul the apostle who wrote this letter said to them we can sort of make sense of some of this stuff. When, when we started, though, when, when I, we started this four weeks ago, I started this whole series by saying, like I was saying before, with, with this topic, there can sort of be extremes, right? So, so people sometimes, some churches or maybe, maybe people, maybe you've experienced, take, take this to an extreme and, and do things and say things that just seem really weird, maybe wrong, may not be good, maybe claim that God is doing something that he's not doing. And this sort of goes to an extreme. And the danger, though, is that when we see something that's been taken to an extreme, we react to the other extreme and say, I want nothing to do with that. And what we're going to do tonight is try to bring this together and kind of think, well, what does it look like to have these things in their right place, not in the extremes? I don't know about you guys, if you ever sort of get obsessed with things, or if you ever get a bit extreme with things, I feel like I do a little bit less than I used to, but I used to get fairly obsessed with things. When I got married to Tam, actually, when my brother Doug gave the, gave the wedding speech, he gave, it was like the, the big list of all Tim's fads, and just like so many things that I got into and got obsessed with. I just, I just love learning skills, so if I like pick up a new skill, I just want to learn it and I'll get obsessed with it. When I learned to juggle, I just juggled for two days, and I just, just wanted to keep doing it. Um, 
probably one of the weirdest ones was there was a group of us a few years ago that got a bit obsessed with Borum dancing.、Um, we used to get into Narangbar Hall on like a Thursday night or Wednesday night, and it, I really, really liked it. It was fun, and I would sort of get to the end of the night. I'm like, oh, I have to wait a whole another week to go Borum dancing again. I'm like, it's a bit weird now, <laughs> but but that was, that was pretty cool. You guys. Um, and I don't know. I, I've said to you guys before. Sometimes I get a bit obsessed with work, especially in teaching. So you can just get immersed in it and and just sort of think it, think about it. That's that's all I sort of want to do, and just want to do a really really good job. You guys might have experienced being a, a bit obsessed with a Netflix series or something like that, and sort of just takes over your life. That happened to me with Making a Murderer. It's like, oh, there's two days gone. Like, and and I don't know if you guys have know this, but sort of when you get a bit obsessed with something, right? When you get addicted to something. When you go to an extreme with something, you kind of stop thinking clearly. Like you don't, you don't, you're not really processing this thing. And this might be a good thing. It might be work. Work is a good thing, right? But if, but if it goes to an extreme, you sort of get obsessed with. Sometimes you're not thinking right about it. You're not thinking right about life. You're not really putting things in their right place. And and like 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 with Netflix, you sort of pick a series. It's really good. Then after two days, you sort of think, what was I thinking? Like. I had all these other things to do. I've just sort of wasted two days, and that can kind of happen when we go to a bit of an extreme, right? And the thing that can also happen, though, is when when that happens, you sort of see someone who's a bit obsessed. You see someone who's taken over with an extreme. That the the simple response to that is to say, "I want nothing to do with that thing." You see a friend who just is getting addicted addicted to Netflix. You say, "I don't want Netflix. I don't want anything to do with that. That's what it's going to do." Okay, or you see someone who's、um, obsessed—I don't know—obsessed with sport, just just over overwhelmed with it, just has dominated their life, and you just think, "I want nothing to do with that." Something that's good, right? But often the, the simple sort of human response to something that we're seeing misused is to actually reject the thing, rather than to see that it's actually being misused. And and this is what's going on、um, at, at Corinth in this letter we're going to read, and this is what can often happen in church, right? That there can be things that are really good, things that are actually given by God, and and people can get obsessed with them. Like this is not just the Holy Spirit or spiritual gifts. This is all different types of theology, styles of church,、um, all different things. People can sort of sometimes get obsessed with their one thing, and and take it to an extreme, and then we see that, and we think, no, that's wrong. I don't want anything to do with that, and reject the whole thing. And it's basically just like throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Just chuck everything out because it's the simple response. The response, though, that says this is an extreme, but we need to bring back and look. What is what is the right place for this? That is hard. It's much easier to sort of just go black and white, one extreme to another. But to come back and think, well, where does this actually fit? How can we hold things in tension? How can we just put things in their right place, especially the place that maybe God wants them to be? That that can be difficult. That's what we're going to see tonight as we go through this this, this letter. We're going to read about a church、um, that that was seems like they were they were really obsessed mainly with this gift of tongues. So th- this is this idea that the Holy Spirit in someone can can speak cause them to speak another language, or can even cause them to speak words that that may be an angelic language or not a known language. But I've I've got a definition here for you that'll make it easier. So. Tongues in the Bible. This is just one theologian's definition. I think is pretty good. Is speaking prayer, so it's it's directed towards God. So someone praying 
or praising God like we were worshipping God before, but they're speaking in syllables and they don't understand what they're saying. This sounds pretty strange, right? Like, but this, there's, there's things, this happened in the Bible. In, in the book of Acts, when the Holy Spirit first came, the Holy Spirit came and the people who were there started speaking all these other languages and all people could hear them and understand them and it, it just demonstrated powerfully that this is something God was doing. God was at work. And this is something that was happening at Corinth, right? This was a spiritual gift. A lot of people in our church have this spiritual gift. But in Corinth, this was getting abused. This was, this was, they were taking this to an extreme. They, they, were, they were thinking that this is the thing. They were a bit obsessed with speaking in tongues. And, and we're going to see that because you can, when, we, when we read through, we're going to see that they're not thinking clearly. You know, when you get obsessed with something, when you get a bit extreme, you're not really thinking. And Paul's going to give them some really logical reasons that, as I say to them to you, you're probably going to be like, that just makes a whole lot of sense. But, but it seems like they just weren't thinking because they were so obsessed with the gift. But the interesting thing is that Paul doesn't say, get rid of it. He doesn't say, ban it. He doesn't say, we want nothing to do with that because it's being abused. What he does is he brings them back from the extreme and he wants to put it in its right place. That's, that's what we're going to do is, is, is try to look through tonight what he says to them and try and think maybe for us, what is the right place of this gift? And the other one that, that, that he talks about and he, we're going to look at tonight is prophecy. And it seems like th- th- there was some just controversy around these two gifts because when we read through, we're gonna, he, he's talking about just two gifts. He's not talking about all the spiritual gifts. He's just comparing two. This is a definition of prophecy that, that again, the same theologian has, which not everyone would agree with this. And, and again, I, I encourage you to do your own study with this, to, to, to search the Bible, to, to read, to, to come up to your own, own conclusions. This is, this is what this guy, who I think, I think this is a pretty good definition, a simple definition of what prophecy is. Basically, the gift of God being able to reveal something spontaneously to someone's mind. Okay, so telling something that God has spontaneously brought to mind is the gift of prophecy. I'm going to talk about it a little bit later, but this is very different to the Old Testament, right? Before Jesus came, before we had a whole lot of the Bible, there were prophets. And these prophets, God would speak to them and they would speak the very words of God. And if you disobeyed what a prophet said, you're disobeying what God said. And this was so extreme, right, that, that if, if the prophet said something and it didn't happen, they would be stoned because they're a false prophet. They're going to mislead the people. This is not like that, okay? We have the Bible now, and this, this is God revealing something to someone, but, it, but there's not, not this place where someone can say, this is what God is saying. If you disobey, you're disobeying God. That's, that's not what we, this is like. And we're going we're gonna to sort of talk about that, make a bit more sense of that as we go. Okay, so, so what we're trying to do is look at what Paul, how Paul is bringing these extremes in, what's the right place, and as we go through, I just want to give some teaching on what is tongues, what is prophecy, what seems to be the scriptural right place that these should sit. You, you might be in one of those sort of two extremes, or you might sort of be somewhere in the middle. I hope that wherever you sort of are, this can be an encouragement. Maybe you've had, you've just seen this stuff as weird, and it's been scary, and, and you sort of think, I just want nothing to do with it. My hope tonight is that this might just draw you back to think, what is the right place? What might God have for you? Maybe you've been a bit obsessed a bit extreme. Maybe this, tonight this is just to think, how is this affecting other people? What is the right place? Where does this need to sit? Cool. So I might pray, and then we'll start going through 1 Corinthians 14 is what we're going to look at. Father, thank you so much for your word. 
um, even as we just sung that we can rest on your promises and thank you that your promises are in your word and we can um, have confidence in it. And God, I just pray that you'd speak through your word, um, through me, as we just read your scripture, Lord, speak into people's hearts here, bring encouragement, bring guidance, bring freedom in your name, Jesus. We just thank you for your presence here with us. Amen. Cool. So just so, before we start, just a little bit more context for what may have been happening at Corinth as well. You guys, I don't know what you might feel like. The context of this is kind of talking about what church should be, all right? Like what a, what a good worship time at church, a good church service would look like. Now, different people might have different ideas of what a good, good service would be like. So you, you might really love music and, and singing and worshipping and praising God. So you might go to a church that has amazing music and amazing worship and, and you, you feel built up and close to God in the worship and then someone gets up to speak and they're pretty average, they're not, they're not very, very good at all, like they sort of don't really make much sense. But you go away and you think that was an awesome church service because you love worship and that's what you really enjoy and that's, that's what benefited and built you up. Or you, you might think an awesome church service is, is hearing the word, hearing good speaking. So you might go to a church where the music's just not very good, um, you're kind of a bit bored, it's, you're not really encountering God, but then someone gets up to speak and they speak really powerfully and they're speaking the Bible and you're really encouraged and you're really built up and you go away and you think, that's a really good worship service. And I, and I think that's, that's kind of just different personalities. And obviously we need both of those things in a church service, but, but you guys might just have different preferences, different, different ways you connect with God, different things like that. But the, but the Corinthians had a bit of an idea, it seems, like they might have had this idea of what a good worship service was, which actually wasn't very helpful at all. It seems a bit like their obsession with tongues may have led to this idea that a good worship service right, is the most amazing, spectacular, where we can just do the most out there, outrageous things, that is going to be a good worship service. So it seems like there's a good chance in, in these services, people are, lots of people are talking at the same time, lots of people are praying to God in a language that they don't understand and other people don't understand, and um, people, it's, just, it's just kind of crazy. Right? It's just kind of not making sense. But in their mind, they're thinking, this, this is what a good worship service is, right? This is showing the Holy Spirit is here. The Holy Spirit's speaking through us powerfully. People are speaking in tongues. This is amazing. That's sort of the context. And Paul's going to bring some sense into that. You can probably already see that, there's, that they're not really thinking clearly about what that might do, how that might affect other people. So we're going to read through, and that's sort of the context. This is quite long, so I'm just going to read quickly and just comment as we go as well. So this is just after Paul's talked about love. And then he says this, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. So this is, this is interesting, right? Like, you know, last week we talked about love is the goal. Like it's, it's, it's not about the gifts. It's not about just getting really good at the gifts. It's about love. But that's not really right, is it? It's about both. You see, Paul says, pursue love and the gifts. Don't, don't, don't say, I'll just pursue love and not the gifts. He's saying do both, but pursue love ultimately. But he still says, earnestly desire spiritual gifts. And he says into this, this group, remember, he's, he's not talking about all gifts. He's just talking about prophecy in tongues and comparing these. But first off, he says, especially that you may prophesy. Then he keeps explaining. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God. 
for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. See, this is this idea of someone who's praying in tongues by the Spirit is praying to God, and, and the others aren't understanding them, they're uttering mysteries. He contrasts this with prophecy. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. You see, he's trying to bring some sense to their idea of what a good church service looks like. And he's saying, look, if someone's prophesying, if someone's speaking something that God has revealed to them, that, that's actually, that they, people are able to understand that. And that's going to lead to people being encouraged and people being built up. But someone who's, who's speaking in, in this prayer language that they don't understand, it actually benefits them. He's saying it builds up himself, but not everybody else. And he, keep, he keeps going. He's, he talks about this so much, it shows that they just weren't thinking clearly. He says, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. You see, again, it's interesting. He doesn't say ban it. He doesn't say, this is just too extreme, just get rid of it. He actually says, I want you to do this, but I want you to prophesy more. He explains, the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. Again, he's trying to get them to see what is a good worship service. And, and just, just quickly, that what he's talking about there is an exception, really. He's saying that what he wants is for them to prophesy, but if, if there's someone who can interpret what someone's speaking in this other language, so imagine someone coming up here and who couldn't speak English, and if they, if they spoke to you in, in German, if Kai came and did a message in German, we wouldn't really benefit. But if, but if he did a message in German and Lydia translated, we'd benefit, right? Because there's a translation into English. And this is what he's saying. If someone is going to speak in a tongue, but then there's someone there who can translate it into, into the, the language that people can understand, that's going to lead to people being benefited. He keeps going. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you? Unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching. He's trying to get them to see what, what's going to actually lead to a good service, what's going to lead to people being benefited. It needs to be things that can be understood. <clears throat> he keeps going, though. He wants to make this really clear. If even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So he, he's going on again and again, and just not thinking clearly. Like, we had some awesome music just before from these guys. But if I jumped up on Aaron's guitar now and just started strumming away at it like this, like, it's going to sound terrible. Right? It's just not going to sound good. That, 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 that makes sense. That's fairly simple. He's saying as well, like, if, if, when people used to blow a horn to get ready for battle, like, th there must have been a certain type of um, notes or, or, or rhythm or melody that they had to blow to know it was the battle. But if they don't blow it that way, people aren't going to know. Like, Unless things actually make sense, it's not going to benefit anybody. So he keeps going. So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that's not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I'll be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So again, he says it again. Look, if, if, you're, if you're just speaking a language that I don't understand, it's not going to benefit me at all. 
So he says, with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. So he keeps coming back to this idea that what is a good service is that people can be encouraged and built up. This sort of crazy, um, just, just free for all, speaking other languages, just sort of going nuts, is not benefiting anybody. But they've got, they've got this obsession with it. He has to keep explaining and keep guiding them. So he starts now to give them some understanding about what they should do. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. So he's saying this, this is a good thing. If, if, if you have this gift, pray that you can interpret it because then it will benefit other people. He says, if I pray in a tongue but my spirit prays, my spirit prays but my mind is unfruitful, what am I to do? I'll pray with my spirit but I'll pray with my mind also. I'll sing praise with my spirit, but I'll sing praise with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you're saying? So again, he's saying, look, if, if you're praying, or if you're, you're praising God and no one knows what you're saying, they can't agree with you. For you may be giving thanks, but the other person is not being built up. So... The, the Corinthians might have been, the ones who are speaking in tongues might have been really enjoying it, might have been having a really good time, but there's other people right next to them who are thinking this is just a waste of time. Like this is not benefiting me at all. This is not helping me at all. Paul keeps going though, but again, remember, he's not banning it. He's, he's, giving, he's, he's pulling them in. He's trying to get this into the right place. But he says this amazing thing here. This, this is quite interesting. He says this, I thank God I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. This is a really amazing verse I realized this week. I was reading through something. Because think, think about how does this work, right? So Paul's speaking to these people who are a bit obsessed. And he says to them, I speak in tongues more than you. But then he says, when I'm in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind than 10,000 words in a tongue. So the question is, where does Paul speak in tongues? It's not in church, but he does it more than all of them. This, this verse is actually really great encouragement that this is a really good gift to practice in private. That, that if, if this is something that you have, that God has given you by the Spirit, that, that you pray to God and you praise God with, with tongues and, and it benefits you and, and builds you up, this is great encouragement to do that to do it in, in private, to do it with other people who are doing it as well, not, not to do it where there's other people around who are not going to be benefited or who are going to kind of be excluded. But this is actually great encouragement for the private use of the gift of tongues. Do you know what? The, the Corinthians, though, they might have even been so obsessed with this. They might have been thinking, look, if we're just speaking this other language, if we're doing these amazing things, it's going to show God is here. So when new people come in, they're going to know God is here. They're, they're going to think that we're amazing. They're going to think that, that we know the truth because we're speaking all these languages and, and it's, it's sort of going crazy and it's awesome. This is, this is so great. And you can see straight away, that, no. When people come in and they see just weird stuff like that, they're just going to think you're crazy. And Paul has to even explain this to them. Again, he's saying to them, brothers, do not be children in your thinking. He's, he wants them to think. Be infants in evil, but in your, in your thinking, be mature. In the law, it's written by people of strange tongues and the lips of foreigners where I speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are assigned not for believers but for unbelievers, 
Well, prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. This is, this is a bit of a difficult verse to understand. But basically, look, Paul's saying they might be thinking, it's going to be awesome. People, people are going to come in that don't believe, and they're going to see us speaking in tongues, and they're going to, they're going to believe. But Paul goes back to the Old Testament, to Isaiah, and, and is reminding them, you know, when, when God spoke to you in the language of other nations, it was actually a judgment. It was actually because you weren't listening. And Paul's saying, no, tongues, if tongues are anything for unbelievers, they would be a judgment. We don't want that. We want them to be coming in. He says that, that tongues are a, a prophecy is a sign for believers. It's to encourage. It's to build up. And he illustrates this here. If the whole church comes together and everyone's speaking in tongues and outsiders are unbelievers enter, will they not say you're out of your minds? Like he, he explains it very clearly to them, right? Like, like if, if this was going on and, and, and a new person came in, they'd just think, this is crazy. But then he says, but if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. He's saying, look, if, if, if people are sharing things that God is speaking in words that can be understood... New people are going to come in. They're, they're going to realize that God is speaking, that God is revealing stuff, that he is true, and then they're going to come and worship him. He, he's, he's having to really pull them back from this obsession and help them to really see the proper place of this gift. So what, what is he really trying to say to them? He's talking about what is important in a service, and this is really the principle that comes through. What's important is that people are built up which means that people come to worship God and they go away encouraged. They go away growing in their relationship with God. They, they go away um, equipped to serve God. They, they go away knowing that he is with them and, and he's speaking to them. And, and what Paul is trying to help them to see that this can only happen if people understand what's going on. This can only happen if it's intelligible, if the words make sense. Kind of like Nick said in that video, like he went to the, the prayer and they're all praying in Arabic and he said it was kind of cool, but he wouldn't have been built up as much as if they were praying in English, like to actually understand the prayers and understand what's going on. So this is what Paul wants them to see and, and can be a good principle for us as well. But here's some just, some just sort of parameters. What is the good use of this, this thing, this tongues that, that the Bible talks about? And that's, that's this, that Paul is really trying to get this thing not, not to be at the forefront. Like, like they're kind of obsessed with it, making this an amazing thing. And you see, see, some churches do do that, or some people even say you have to do this to be a Christian. It's just not in the Bible, or that, that you don't have the Holy Spirit if you don't speak in tongues. Like that's just not in the Bible. And, and, and Paul is kind of bringing it down, like just saying this is not as big a deal as, as you think. He's not saying it's bad, but he's just sort of saying this is not the most important thing. He says when, when you're meeting, this is something that should only happen if there's an interpreter there. Because it's important that people are built up and encouraged. But he says, he encourages them to do it in private. He encourages them to ask God for the, this gift, to, to experience this. Because it, it's, it's a beneficial thing for their relationship with God. And at the very end of this, this chapter, he says, do not forbid it. Which again, is this interesting thing, right? There's, something's being a bit abused, a bit extreme. But his response is not to go to the other extreme. His response is not to forbid, but to get the right use. Okay, so that's, that's sort of a whole lot about tongues and that sort of first principle. He then keeps going and he starts to talk a bit more about order and how, how things should be done. Because again, this was kind of a bit crazy. And again, they might have even had the idea that like, 
if, if you're just overcome by God and God just sort of controls you and, and it's just spontaneous and just, um, just crazy like that, that's really good. But then Paul, Paul, again, has to bring them into line. What does a good service look like? How do these things fit together? This is what he says. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. So he's saying, come and bring these things that you can build up each other. Then he gives some guidelines. How should this be done? If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or three at most, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there's no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. This is really interesting, right? Like if, if they had this idea that this was just something that overwhelmed me, overcame me, that, that I just had to speak in tongues, couldn't control it, it was just the Holy Spirit. Paul's saying, no, that's not right. He, he's saying, look, if there's no interpreter there, no one's speaking in tongues. And then he says, even if there is, you, you do it one at a time. Like, like you can control this. You see what he's saying? Like he's saying to, to just say that God just over, overcomes me and just, just I can't control this at all. He's saying, no, that's, that's not the case. What we need is order and you can control, you can respond to what's happening in you. Then he starts to talk about prophecy. And again, there's, there's order here. He says, let two or three prophets speak and let others weigh what is said. I'm going to talk a bit more about that in a minute. If any revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. So, so again, this idea, like th- there might have been people at the church, right, who might be jumping up and saying, God told me to say this, or I, I have to say this now. And, and Paul's saying, no, that's, that's not the case. Like one at a time, in order, y- you can have self-control. You, you, can, you, can, you can hold back. God might have even revealed something to you and you can hold back. You don't have to speak. He says, you can all prophesy one by one, so you may learn and be encouraged and the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. This is what, what he's saying, right? Like the, the, this spirit is not something that just controls and overwhelms, but is subject to the prophets. And the reason is for God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. What, what he's trying to communicate to them is that, that our God is not a crazy, disorderly God that, that is, is just doesn't make sense and is, is just sort of wild things happening. No, God is a God of peace. And, and order, and we want that to actually be reflected in the services that we have. This is this really the second sort of point that he brings about, that, that what's important in a service is that there's order and peace, but this actually requires self-restraint, right? So this sort of obsessed, extreme sort of view, he's actually saying to them, no, the way to come back is to actually exercise self-restraint, to, to, to maybe feel like you want to do something, we want to say something that maybe even God is wanting you to do something or say something, but to actually hold back. And that, that, that principle will actually lead to order and, and to peace. So just that, that's sort of what he's trying to say to them. I just want to comment a bit more on this idea of what, what this sort of prophecy is. Because this, this can be really strange. I don't know where you guys sit with this. I, I used to really be against some of this stuff. Because in, in my mind back then, I sort of thought, no, we have the Bible God doesn't speak anymore because we have his words. And if he did speak anymore, then we'd have to start adding things to the Bible and then we wouldn't really know. And, and the, 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 the thing that helped me sort of get through this and, and the understanding of this that helps is that this, this is not at all close to, to the revelation of God that we have in the Bible. Like in, in the Bible is, is the writings of prophets from the Old Testament 
and apostles. Apostles are people who were with Jesus. And in the New Testament, it's not the prophets and the kings that have a lot of authority. It's the apostles. And the apostles, so Paul, who's writing this, was an apostle. And, and the, the men who were Jesus' disciples were apostles. The things that they said and the things that they wrote, they had got a lot of authority. Right? They, they wrote the scriptures, which are the words of God. And those are the revelation of God. But we see in, in these, these verses and in the New Testament that there's this other type of prophecy that's going on, which is, which is not people speaking the very words of God, but is God revealing something to someone, prompting someone, just sort of le- leading them and them speaking that, but that this sits underneath the Bible, that, that this has to be weighed. You see what it says there? So the prophets speak, but let others weigh what is said. That didn't happen in the Old Testament. Right? People would speak, and this is the word of God. But, but now, someone's to speak, and we're to test it. And we're to test it against Scripture. We're to test it against what God has already revealed. Um, th- this is, th- th- this, the, the problem with this is that sometimes this gets abused, right? That this gets misused. Sometimes people might have this gift and use this gift, this might even happen to you, and they, they might come to you and say, God told me this, and, and, and sort of speak it to you, as in, you have to obey. Like, this is the word of God. And that is not something that should be done. That is, that is not something that, that is not the right way to go about th- this, this thing, this sort of New Testament prophecy. The, r- the right way to go about it, really, is if, some, if you feel like God has spoken something to you or revealed something to you to someone, is, is to offer it to them as a gift lo- loosely. To, to say to someone, hey, I, I was just praying and I, and I feel like God said this, you, you, you take that and you do what you want with it. And, and, and that can actually be a great encouragement and great, great building up. It, it's not this idea of, of you have to obey now, and people who do do that are kind of misusing it as well. Um, there's, there's a story um, that I listened to this week from John Piper of this, and he was just talking about how, how prophecy can even happen when people are speaking or preaching, and he was talking about how sometimes he'll just say something sort of insignificant, he didn't even mean to say it, and it would just speak right into someone, into their situation, and it would just be an encouragement, and he just says that's just a gift from God to them, that God is just dropping something and just encouraging them in that way. But then he told the story about, of, of someone who, who got the wrong idea with this and, and, and went too far with this. He was saying he was trying to encourage people to, to seek after these gifts and to use these gifts. And he had this lady come up to him once and, and say, I have a prophecy for you. And he, she said, it's not a very good prophecy. And his wife was pregnant with their fourth child. And, he, and she said to him, God has told me that, that she's going to die in childbirth and that you're going to have a girl. And, and he, he was confused, and he said he went away, and he prayed, and he said, God, what, what is this? Like, this doesn't feel like it's from you. Like, this, this doesn't, why would this help me at all? What, what is this even for? And he said he didn't even tell anybody about it. And it came to the time, and his wife had birth and had a baby boy. And, and he said he was so happy, and it just proved that this, this, this woman was just wrong. She, she, just, she just stepped past the line. She, just was, she was misusing this gift. And the problem with that is that when people do that, when people go too far, when people misuse it, it causes other people to reject it. Right? It causes other people to despise it. And it even says in the letter to Thessalonians, it says, do not despise prophecies. 
which is interesting because if, if Paul had to say to them, don't despise prophecies, it shows that they did, and you wonder why they did, and there's probably a good chance it's because of stuff like this, right? It's because of people just going around saying, God said this, God said this, and just, just sort of putting on people, and then you kind of just get to a point where you're like, I just don't want to hear anymore. I just don't want anything to do with that. But, but Paul says to them, don't despise prophecies, but, but use these things properly and rightly. This is sort of some guidelines for what this might look like. So he, he says to desire this thing for the, for the purpose of building up the church. But it, again, it's to be done with order and restraint. So if you feel like you're receiving something to share with somebody else, the thing to do is to, to pray about it, to check it, to test it against Scripture. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's not like you have to um, just, just dump things on someone that you can have order and restraint. Again, you can weigh and test it yourself. And when, when if, if this is something, it's to be offered as a gift. It's to be offered loosely and, and generously and graciously. Just maybe God, I feel like God might have been saying this to me to share with you. And, and it may not even make any sense to you. You can just offer it as a gift or maybe you just pray about it as well. In terms of if someone comes to you and does that, if someone says, I feel like God has said this to you or I have a prophecy for you or something like that. Dave, Dave was speaking about this this morning and he's got a great principle that he's told me about before and has encouraged other people with. He says in his mind he has like a metaphorical shelf that, that just sort of sits there. And, and when people come and, and might say, I feel like God might be saying this, um, he just says he puts it on the shelf and just sort of lets it sit there. It's sort of just in the back of his mind and he'll let God bring it about and he'll let God deal with it and, and, and do things with it. It's not some, again, it's not something that has to be obsessed over. It's not like oh, I've got to analyze every little thing and make sure this is from God and this is not from God. Like, it's not like that. It's just this is meant to be an encouragement that just builds you up and, 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 but at the same time, if someone says something to, to test it against Scripture and, and to put confidence in what the Word of God says and, and, and to always submit to that first. Um, a lot of you guys have had experience with this. I haven't had a whole lot of experience with this, but just a couple of small things. Last, last year, I went to a couple of nights that were just sort of giving information and training about prophecy. And um, it was not long before I was going to start here. And these people didn't know me, and they were praying for me and just encouraging me about a new season in your life, and, and you're, you're going into something new. And it wasn't long after I just quit my job. And it's just an encouragement just that God, God is aware, God is working. And, and I don't know for sure that was God. Like that might have just been coincidence. Like, but, it, but still, it's an encouragement as well um, with that. And, and other, other things had people say um, just things about being able to teach and, and speak words and speak words in people's hearts, and, and that's just an encouragement that's sort of built me up in being able to speak and teach more confidently. And there hasn't been these sort of weird, crazy things, but just very normal, natural, encouraging things. And that, that's what this is really meant to be. Like he's trying to say this is an encouraging, building up thing, that, that gift, a gift that would, someone would receive as a gift, something that's really good. Again, this, this is sort of... Um, stuff that we can keep talking about and journeying through as well over the next little bit. Um, so basically, what he's been saying, right, is that what is important in the context of the service is that people are built up and that there's order and peace. And that's sort of the thing that he's trying to get them to come back and think, these gifts are good, but they need to sit in, in this sort of parameters of what actually is good. Just to start to finish up, 
this tendency we have, right, to go to sort of extreme to extreme is pretty human. This is a quote from Martin Luther, and he's talking about history. We can sort of apply it to today as well. He says, history is like a drunk man on a horse. No sooner does he fall off on the left side, does he mount again and fall off on the right side, right? And, and this sort of often can happen, right? So we go from one extreme, hop back on the horse, fall off on the other side to the other extreme, go back other side. And this can happen not just with sort of spiritual gifts, but with other things in the Christian life. And the, the goal, right, is to sort of stay in th- with things in their proper place, which isn't in the middle, right? It's not like a little bit of Holy Spirit and a little bit of the Bible, and then we're sort of just sort of in the middle. It's, it's all the Holy Spirit is properly understood. All the Scripture is properly understood and held in that right place, not reacting against the extremes, but coming back and seeking what God is doing and what God might want for us. This is the very first verse of this chapter and the very last verse, and this just summarizes what Paul is saying to them really, really well. And, and as we're starting, just we're pretty much at the end of this series, and just to conclude, I want to read these verses and just give you a few takeaways as well. Paul says, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. And in the context here, he says, especially that you may prophesy. But he doesn't mean just prophecy. He, he means whatever gifts God has given you, whatever gifts you want to ask him for, to pursue love and earnestly desire them. And then at the end, he says, So my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. If, if you've sort of been in that sort of a bit extreme, obsessive place, maybe, the thing to do is to come back to a place of order and, and thinking and putting things in their right place, but still valuing the things that God is doing and valuing the people that are around, val- valuing them and not sort of just making it about amazing things, but about people being built up and encouraged and growing in relationship with God. Maybe if you've sort of been in this place of, of thinking, I don't want anything to do with that, that craziness, that weird stuff, Paul, Paul is saying he... You might even think like, oh, to do that, you just have to switch my mind off and stop thinking. Paul, Paul's saying the opposite. He's encouraging them to think. He's encouraging them to be sober-minded, to be self-controlled, to be orderly, but to be open to what God might be doing. And there's, there's this, this place that for God to work, it doesn't require switching off our brains and just doing crazy things. It actually requires thinking about the fact that God is real and God's at work and God might want to do things. And, and actually thinking about his promises and thinking about the things that he has done actually gives us encouragement to do those as well. So a couple of quick things that for you might be able to do this week or think about as we finish up. So we've been talking about the other guy, the Holy Spirit. And what we really want is to actually walk with him in relationship independence. An awareness that, that God lives in us and is with us and that we can walk with him, talk to him, listen to him, depend upon him. From this time, from these four weeks we've been spending this, we want to keep going and seek more of him, seek more of the gifts that he might have for us, to, to ask, ask for them, to ask, ask God for things that, that you may desire. And then one of the, one of the great things about this is this idea that, that Christianity is not one person standing up here with a microphone, but it's everybody. And as we, as we come to church, right, to actually come with this attitude of what can I give? What can I share? That, that might be at dinner later on, just an encouragement to somebody. Or it might be during the week, just some generosity or hospitality. Or, or it might be a teaching that you've learned and that has been really relevant to you that, that you just happen to be able to share with someone right at the right time. 
um, just as you're having coffee with them. And, and to have this attitude that, that in all the sort of context that we're in, God has actually given us things to share and to give and to sort of have this attitude of what can I give, what can I share, what can I contribute when I come as well.